Andrew, to the preaching of that passage. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, Carl. Good morning, everybody. I encourage you to keep Genesis 22 open if you've got a Bible there. Uh, we're going to pray now. I'm going to ask God to speak to us uh, through his word. We're going to ask him by his Holy Spirit to open up that word to us. So uh, let's pray together now. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you've given us your spirit, the spirit of truth, to reveal the Lord Jesus to us so that we can know him and we can experience him. We, we can know the reality of him dwelling in us. And we pray, Father, by your spirit right now that you would be using him and using your word to testify to us about Jesus, to, to speak to us of Christ, and particularly of the sacrifice that he made for us, that we would delight in him even more, and that we would increase in our faith in him for your glory, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. I wonder what is the biggest test that you've ever have to face, uh, the biggest test that you've experienced in your life. Uh, our answers, of course, will depend on our stage of life, uh, what things we've been through in life. Uh, but of course, there is a shared test that all of us are going through at the moment. Uh, we've spent more than two months now in lockdown, and that has been a very testing experience for us all. But I don't think any of us will ever experience the kind of test that Abraham went through here in Genesis 22. Uh, let me just remind you again from verse two, the test that God gives to Abraham. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. On a mountain, I will show you. Now, I think it'd be natural for us to be surprised and, and even shocked by this command that God is giving to Abraham. And even more so if you've been with us through the story of Abraham and you see just who Isaac is and what Isaac means. Remember, Isaac isn't just any son. He is the child of promise. He is the one through whom God was going to fulfill his promises to Abraham. And he is also the hope of the world. Through Isaac, through this offspring of Abraham, God is going to bless all nations on earth. So it, it just doesn't make sense. Now we get to Genesis 22 that God is telling Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, to sacrifice the child of promise and the hope of the world. Especially when we read later in the Old Testament, just how much God hates child sacrifice. He, he hates human beings being sacrificed in this way. It doesn't make sense. It, 
it is a, a strange and a shocking command that God is giving to Abraham here. So how do we make sense of this test that Abraham has to go through? Well, I think we can only make sense of it by seeing the bigger picture. The picture that Abraham can't see, but that God sees as he calls Abraham to this text. You see, through the events of Genesis 22, God is pointing us to the sacrifice of another son. The true child of promise, the true hope of the world. This testing of Abraham only makes sense when we see how it is pointing us to Jesus. That it's really about the ultimate sacrifice that God gave when he gave his son for us. When his son died on the cross for us, as we were singing at the start of our service. But before we think about how these events point us to Jesus, I just want to answer a potential objection. Because somebody might say, well, how do you know that this is about Jesus? Because Jesus' name isn't mentioned in Genesis 22. How do we know that this is really pointing us to Christ? Are we just reading that in to this passage? Are we reading something in here actually isn't there in the first place? Are we imposing our own ideas on this text? Well, we need to remember what kind of book the Bible is. It's not just a collection of individual stories and accounts randomly put together. The Bible is one coherent, true story. And it has one overarching theme, one overarching storyline that links everything else together. And that theme points us to Jesus. It points us to Jesus dying to be the, the, the sacrifice, to be uh, the, the saviour of the whole world. You can think of the parts of the Bible like pieces of a jigsaw. And when you put the jigsaw all together, you have one picture and that picture that the Bible gives us is Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. And that's not just how I'm reading the Bible or how others in history have read the Bible. That's how Jesus himself read the Bible. When Jesus was here on earth, he said that Moses, who, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, including Genesis, that he was actually writing about Jesus. He wrote about me, Jesus says. And on another occasion in John's gospel, Jesus amazingly says that, that your father Abraham, talking to the Jews, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it, Jesus says, and he was glad. And I think that the place perhaps where Abraham is able by faith most clearly to see Jesus' day and, and to see what Jesus was going to come and do is here in Genesis 22. That there is something about these events in Genesis 22 that point us forward to Jesus. It points us forward to the ultimate sacrifice, not Isaac, but the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the one whom the Lord would provide as the sacrifice to rescue his people from their sins. And that's because Jesus, as the son of God, came before Abraham and before Isaac. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb chosen before even the creation of the world, we're told in 1 Peter. So when God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, God has already chosen another sacrifice. He has chosen his son to be the ultimate sacrifice. So all other sacrifices that we read of in the Old Testament, they are really pointing us forward to Jesus because Jesus comes after them, but he also comes before them. So God already knew that Jesus would come to be that sacrifice. All the sacrifices and all of the Old Testament is pointing forward to him. So how does Genesis 22 speak to us of that ultimate sacrifice of Christ? Well, firstly, this sacrifice that Abraham is being called to give was a costly sacrifice. It would cost Abraham. We can only imagine the anguish that Abraham must have gone through as he contemplated having to kill his own son. I'm a father and I have a son. And I just couldn't imagine having to, to take my own son's life. It's just beyond our imagining what Abraham is being asked to do here. And the cost of the sacrifice is brought home to us in God's own words in verse two, the way that God describes Isaac to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Now, three times in this passage, that phrase is repeated, your only son, just to, to drive home the fact that the cost of this sacrifice that Abraham is being asked to make, Isaac was Abraham's only son in the sense that his other son, Ishmael, had been sent away by this time. So Abraham only has Isaac left. But he's also his only son in, in the sense that he is the, the one of a kind son. He is the unique son. He is the only son through whom God's promises will be fulfilled. And what that little repeated phrase does for us your only son it, it just raises the stakes even further of what abraham is having to do here it just magnifies to us the cost of this sacrifice this isn't, isn't just a son this is the son this is the only son and that very phrase the only son it is repeated again in the new testament in the reading that we had at the start of the service from John chapter three, and it's use of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I wonder if there are times when you doubt God's love for you. I wonder if there's times when you question, well, can God really love me? After all that I've done and all the things I continue to do, can God really love me? 
Well, if we ever do doubt his love, then this is the place where we need to go. We need to go back to the cross. We need to go to the place where we see God's love displayed in full technicolor. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What a love. What a cost. We can be forgiven at the cross because God was willing to give his son, his only son, for us. Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, was a costly sacrifice. And he was also a pleasing sacrifice. That's what we're going to see next, that the sacrifice of Isaac was a pleasing sacrifice and how Isaac points us forward to Jesus in this respect. And we're told in verse two that Isaac was to be sacrificed as a burnt offering. Now that term, the, a burnt offering, comes up again in the Old Testament. In fact, four centuries later, when the law is given to Moses, uh, this Burnt offering is one of the sacrifices that God's people have to make in order to make themselves right with God. You can read about the burnt offering in Leviticus chapter one, but it's, it's the first and it's the foremost of all the offerings that God's people were to give. And the primary purpose of the burnt offering was to be an offering that pleased the Lord. Uh, that senses it, it comes up in, in, in the name burnt offering it, it's literally an ascending up to God offering is uh, that offering was burnt on the altar the, the the smell the aroma was an aroma that pleased the Lord this was a sacrifice that pleased God and the reason why it pleased God was because it was an acceptable sacrifice the animal that was to be offered, which could be a bull or a lamb or a small bird, it had to meet the criteria that the Lord set out. And it was very, a very strict criteria. Uh, only uh, certain animals and within those groups of animals, only certain uh, particular animals were acceptable to God. And just as God clearly lays out the criteria for the sacrifice that Abraham is to give it was to be his only son so god would later lay out the criteria for the sacrifice that his people had to give and it had to be a an animal without defect an animal with no blemish a perfect sacrifice and as that animal was offered on behalf of the worshiper the one who brought the sacrifice god accepted the sacrifice, and so he also accepted the person who brought it. And what happened was when God accepted that sacrifice, atonement was made. The word atonement means literally a making at one, at one moment. It is the picture of two estranged parties being reconciled, being brought back together. And in the Bible, it refers to sinners 
being brought back into a right relationship with a holy God. That's what the burnt offering did for the worshipper. It was accepted on their behalf and it, and it made atonement. And the sacrifice of Isaac it, it is kind of a precursor to this burnt offering. He, he's pointing ahead to the sacrifices that would be made later in the Old Testament. And, and there is a, a clear link here because the very place where God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac later becomes the place where the temple is built in the days of, of Solomon. But Isaac ultimately is pointing way beyond the Old Testament sacrifices and he's pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the one who would give himself up for us as a fragrant offering to God, that Christ's sacrifice on the cross was a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. He was pleasing and, and he was acceptable because he was a perfect sacrifice. He met all the criteria. He was without blemish, without defect, without sin. And like Isaac, he was offered in obedience to God's command. And that leads us on to our next point. That Jesus, as the ultimate sacrifice, was willing to obey. And Isaac was also willing to obey. He was a willing sacrifice. Now, wh why do I say that? What, what is there in the text that leads us to think that Isaac was a willing sacrifice? Well, I, I think there are clues in the chapter and in the surrounding chapters that tell us that, that Isaac was not a young boy when this event happened. He, he wasn't a, a defenseless, helpless young boy, but rather he was probably a young man. Uh, so, for example, he asks a perceptive question in verse seven. He, he asks, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So he, he understands something about sacrifice. He understands that you don't just need uh, the, the wood and the fire. You also need an animal and not just any animal. You need a lamb, an acceptable sacrifice. And, and, and he realizes, well, we haven't got a sacrifice. And so he, he's old enough to understand things. And he's also strong enough to go on a three day journey to this region of Moriah. And then to carry all the wood that was needed up the mountain for the sacrifice, to, to, to build the altar. Remember at this point, Abraham is past the age of 100. He's an old man. He, he, he must be weak. And Isaac must have been at least as strong or, or probably not stronger than his father, Abraham. And so when Abraham binds Isaac, surely Isaac could have resisted. But there is no hint in this account of a struggle between Isaac and Abraham. If there was, it, it would perhaps even add to the tension that comes later in the story. But as we read between the lines, we see that 
Isaac must have trusted and obeyed his father to have allowed his father to bind him, to allow his father to place him on the altar. As God is calling Abraham to trust and obey him, Abraham would have been calling his son to trust and obey his earthly father. And so what we see here is, is a picture, a glimpse, really, of the obedient son, the true son, who also carried wood up a mountain. He carried his own cross. And he was not only given as a sacrifice by the father for us, he also willingly gave himself up for us. He was a willing sacrifice. So much more than, than Isaac. As the son of God who, who enjoyed eternal fellowship with the father. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Not only as he entered this world as a man, but also as he lived those 33 years that ultimately led to the cross. He knew why he came. He knew what he had to do. He wasn't forced to do it. He wasn't doing it against his will. He was going to the cross in obedience to his father. His sacrifice was a willing sacrifice. It was done in, in complete knowledge, in complete understanding. And finally, Jesus was a substitutionary sacrifice. Because we, we see here that there is a, a sacrifice that is given as a substitute for another. Uh, the tension in the story builds and builds until we get to, to verses 9 to 10. And it's almost as if the action slows down, like in a, you know, in a movie, uh, when you get to a crucial scene and it, it goes into slow motion. And that's what happens here as we reach the climax, as we reach the moment when Abraham has to kill his son, his only son. So he builds the altar, stone by stone. He binds his son. He lays him on the altar. He reaches out his hand. He takes hold of the knife to kill his son. And the voice cries from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And it, it's, it's the angel of the Lord intervening. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. Because you have not withheld from me your son. Your only son. So instead of Isaac, a ram is provided. A ram is found with its horns caught in a thicket. The ram becomes a burnt offering instead of Isaac. And this is exactly what's happening in the sacrifices given by God through Moses 400 years later, that an animal was given as a substitute instead of the worshipper, instead of the one who, who brought that animal. An animal would die in the place of a human being. The Lord was providing a sacrifice so that his people would not die. 
And so it was fitting that uh, the place where the temple would later be built, uh, this, this Mount Moriah, became known as the Lord provides. That the believers for, for many years to come would, would look at that mountain and, and they would say, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God provided a substitute for Isaac. And this tells us something about the nature of God. Because we might be a bit confused as to why God makes Abraham go through with this strange and perhaps even disturbing ritual of having to sacrifice his own son, only to stop him at the last moment. We might see this as, as unnecessary, cruel even, that, that, that God would take Abraham to the, the very last minute before he says stop. Now next week we're, we're going to be focusing again on Genesis 22 and we're going to look at why it was necessary for God to bring Abraham through this test of his faith. But what we see here is not a capricious God who uh, uh, kind of cruelly brings his loyal follower through this anguish only just to stop it at the last minute. Now, what we see here is a generous God, a God who is a giver, a God who doesn't take away life, but a God who gives life, a God who preserves life. God provides so that Abraham doesn't have to. God provides a sacrifice that Abraham doesn't have to give his own son as a sacrifice. On the day that Abraham went up the mountain, the mountain of sacrifice with his son, a substitute was found and Isaac was spared. But on the day that God's own son went up that mountain of sacrifice at Mount Calvary, a substitute was not found. Jesus was not spared. God did not spare his son, but he gave him up freely for us. Jesus did not hold back his life, but he gave his life for us. By substituting Isaac for a ram on that mountain, God was in effect saying to Abraham and to us who are reading it later on, he's saying Isaac isn't good enough to be the sacrifice. He, he cannot be the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice who will deal with sin forever. Another sacrifice, another son will have to be given. And it won't be your son, Abraham. It will be my son, my only son, whom I love. Now, if, if we're familiar with these truths, it, it's so easy for us to take them for granted, isn't it? It's been so easy for, for me as I prepared this sermon just to, you know, to, to write these truths down and not to allow the, the weight of them just to, to bear down upon us. To understand the weight of what is happening here as, as God provides his son 
as the substitute, his son as the sacrifice in our place. The, the son who was in the beginning with God, that the son who existed in the loving embrace of the father for all eternity. This son is given up for us to die in our place as our substitute. And if God is willing to give us this gift, how will he not also graciously give us all things, all lesser gifts? And what right do we have to ever question God's goodness and God's grace? On what grounds could we ever doubt his provision? He has given us the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate gift. And how will he not also give us all lesser gifts if we trust him? So let's thank God for his gift. Let's thank God for this ultimate sacrifice. And let's trust him to give us everything else that we need. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you already knew the answer to Isaac's question. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? You already knew who the lamb was. You, you knew that the lamb would be your son, your only son, who you loved. And he would become the lamb. In fact, he already was the lamb. He was the lamb of God chosen before the creation of the world and then revealed years later when John the Baptist would say behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world thank you that you provided that lamb that sacrifice that substitute for us so that that our sins could be taken away that our punishment could be dealt with our death could be died by another. We thank you for the cost that you paid. We thank you for the love that you gave so that we could stand forgiven at the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.